So the Greater Seattle Business Association is doing this Design to Doors Open event. And I'm going to be there. Uh, Chris Parker is going to be there from Board and Bellum. And we're going to be doing this thing where we talk to some small business owners and give them an idea of what it's like to open their first space. What are some of the things that can be crazy surprises that a, a new brick and mortar business owner might not know? Are, are you going to help reveal some of these secrets? Like, are there already bathrooms in this space? That's a good one. Can people go to the bathroom in my space? Do people need to go to the bathroom in my space? <laughs> Is there uh, someone particular that they should go to the bathroom in, in my space? In fact, it's funny you should mention bathrooms because I feel like that's becoming stranger and stranger. I go to so many restaurants and shops in Seattle. And first of all, obviously, you need a code now for every bathroom. But then it's like, oh, yeah, go down this hall, then make a right, then go down the stairs, then slide down the fireman's pole, then, you know, take a Tough Mudder challenge, you know, 800 feet, then the bathroom will be on the right. Then remember this code. Yeah, and you had to remember that whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you're repeating it to yourself, and you have to pee, and it's like, okay, turn right, turn left. And then you're just like, you end up down some weird loading dock, and you're just lost. Yeah, I feel like you're not supposed to be there. Yeah, and I'm not sure how that happens happened exactly but that's become a thing mm-hmm. and i bet a lot of people would rather not do that and i mean did you remember that code after you had two no. drinks already oh, of course not you end up just standing outside the door praying for someone to, to come, come out, out. So you can <laughs> hold it open it's so real that struggle is so real and then there's like three different restaurants and bars and coffee shops all dumping into the same bathroom not cool so we will cover that. If you're interested in knowing why it takes eight minutes to get to the bathroom in any new commercial space, <laughs> come design the doors open. <laughs> That's the doors we're talking about. Yeah, the doors to the doors. bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> the Design to Doors Open event is on Thursday, January 30th at the GSBA headquarters at 400 East Pine Street. For more information, go to thegsba.org slash events. This is Charles. And this is Rachel. From BNV Radio. This is Design Goggles. Design can make a statement. Sometimes it's a statement that's open to interpretation. Something reminds us of a feeling or inspires us. Other times the statement is clear and intentional, and the designer's intent is transparent. Today, a designer's visual reach is nearly universal. With today's social media platforms, marketing a designer's message is easier than ever. In an age where we can connect directly with our audience, what does it mean when we want our message heard? How can we communicate our values to the world while activating grassroots movements? When we wish to design according to our values, how can we be sure that our efforts aren't invisible? To help us answer those questions and more, we are joined by photographer Tara Clark, founder of the Believe Love Unite campaign and human connectivity conservationist. Tara, thank you for making time to sit and chat with us. Thank you for having me. So are you a Seattle native? I am not. I am originally from Oregon, so I'm a Pacific Northwest girl. That's uh, close. Yeah, well, that's yeah. good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I went to college in Tacoma. So that brought me up closer to Seattle quite a long time ago. And then I was in the Peace Corps. Met a guy there who was also from Seattle or was from Seattle. And we both, after the Peace Corps, were coming back to Seattle. And I've been here off and on since 1996. Oh, 96. So you've really seen a whole cycle 
of dip and then boom and then yeah. dip. So what's it what's it been like watching the city change during that time from then to now? You know, it's exciting, but also sad a little bit because of so much history. When I moved back, my now husband, we decided to buy a house and um, we had limited funds. And now it's ironic because if I say how much we bought our house for, people will just die. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we had limited funds and so it put us in certain areas that we could look. Mm-hmm. And we bought our first house in Mount Baker for $142,000. I'm and dying. I know. Nice, nice. It was a tiny little house. And um, <laughs> when we bought it, we had people say, oh, where are you at? Wait, I don't want to drive down Rainier. And they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was so excited because it's such beauty close to the water. I love shopping at the Safeway down there. I loved it so much. That's my grocery store. It I live is? down there. Yeah. I live on, no uh, well, I'm not going to say it on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I live near that location <laughs> in an unspecified exact point in the world. <laughs> so it was, I loved it. And that I loved that Safeway. It's one of the most real places in the city. It actually reminds me of home of back Mm. east because you just see everybody you hear many different languages being spoken that's the way i grew up and it's still like that i actually that's like one of my favorite little spots okay and i really like you because i talk to a lot of people like oh i don't shop at that you know there's qfc up the road and Mm -hmm. it it bums me out because it's magic in there people are just doing their thing Mm -hmm. no one is showing up dressed or (laughs) and um so yeah that house and i remember we were living there and my husband at the time well he's still my husband so (laughs) at the time good correction yeah you're just like when is this when is this going live because i want to make sure (laughs) so at the time he said to me we had been there for maybe a year and amazon the word on the street was amazon was going to be moving to beacon hill at that right yeah right and he's like we should move to beacon hill because that's a smart thing. We didn't have hardly any money. And so it's like, oh, how can we build equity? And and I just thought, oh, no way, because we're close to the water. We're close to yeah. close to Rainier. So, yeah, that was almost 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we moved out of state to different places. And then coming back, I feel like we came back in early 2005. And a little bit of change had happened, but not much. Things felt the same. And really in the last, I'd say, 10 years, acceleration of change, Mm -hmm. development, buildings coming down. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're turning into a metropolitan city. And so that's a good thing. You know, it was a sleepy city with the Boeing city. And then Microsoft came in and changed the face of it, also for good and bad. And I think mostly good because it brought young, youthful wealth. I remember in 1999, I was at a pumpkin carving of my friend's brother and sister-in-law. And, you know, I was recently out of the Peace Corps, so I didn't have anything. Well, that's not true. I did have. I owned a house. So that's not fair to say. And we were pumpkin carving and these people like, oh, what are you doing? Well, I am about to retire. And they were a few (laughs) years older than me, but they were maybe almost 30 or a little bit over 30. And they were retiring from Microsoft. And I was blown away. And I remember like, do you want to beta test this game? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what's the game? What's my friends doing this game? And it was Cranium. Oh, nice. Uh, and so right. there's a lot of that history, too. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, now all those people are my contemporary, you know, I'm almost 50. And so it's crazy to think in that time period of 20 years, Microsoft really changed things initially and then brought visibility to people wanting to live here because of opportunity to be a part of something different and leave maybe California and the silicone. Mm-hmm. It had been so overdone. But with the good and the bad, I think there's a lot of things that are lost. Mm-hmm. 
So my husband was born and raised in Madrona. Mm -hmm. And so when I came back in 96, or I came in 96, most of the people still live there that he grew up around, and all of that's changed. And that is part of coming to Metropolitan City and gentrification. And people do benefit, you know, they have equity in their homes and then they want that equity and they can go elsewhere. But a lot of times they go elsewhere because they're not really welcomed anymore in the neighborhood that they were a part of. Mm -hmm. Madrona specifically with the redlining. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do meet people now who don't know about what the central district was. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy to me. It's not very long ago. Mm -mm. Yeah. And there's still families that have been there for 40 or 50 years and expensive. It's gotten so much more expensive. And so they do also think about moving. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the change is real. And I think change is important. I've realized only recently and reflected on my life that I'm a change agent. And so to say that change is bad when it affects communities and gentrification is change. I think about that actually just right now. I hadn't thought about that when I believe in change and I want things to get better in different ways that you can't fight change, even if you view it as a negative thing. You do have to figure out a way to retain history mm -hmm. that was there before. Stagnant waters create really difficult times. Yeah. Adaptability is a survival skill. Honoring, honoring the past history, yeah, honoring and, and history. figuring out how to adapt with respect for history is really important. It's really important. Even your own history. Mm -hmm. I think we like to run from our own history. Sure. <laughs> so, but it creates who we are. Oh, sure. Some of it's uncomfortable. And <laughs> we want to we want to only see the narrative that the 40% of the narrative that puts us all in a good light. That's human nature for sure. Tell me a little bit. You said something really interesting that you think of yourself as a change agent. Tell me a little bit more about that. So it's interesting because actually to say that out loud makes me a little uncomfortable. And I believe in when you're uncomfortable, that's when growth and change happens. So mm -hmm. while I'm sitting here, I'm uncomfortable that I'm going <laughs> to say I'm a change agent because I've never really said that out loud mm -hmm. until I start reflecting on my past in relationships with where I come from, in relationship with friends, with my spouse. So I think a change agent... It's often lonely, mm -hmm. and I think people don't think of me as someone who's by myself a lot because I really love people. But a lot of times I do find myself alone in that I'm pushing for something different and not outwardly. I don't think it comes off as like, i got to do this, but I don't like to sit in spaces a lot of times that are so familiar. They bore me. <laughs> And so I'd sometimes pull away or separate and go find something different to try to grow. And it's not intentional. I've just discovered that I like new. I like to learn. That's how I learn. I'm not a big reader. I learn by doing or immersing myself in a place where people say I shouldn't be. It was interesting, like change alone. Most people, change makes them uncomfortable, even when we're aware that we'll exit this change better, even when it's guaranteed. It's still uncomfortable when we're... Or self-imposed even. Right. Even right. when you're like, I'm going to change this. Yeah. You're like, ugh. So putting yourself in that position is automatically kind of putting you in a temporarily adversarial position, which is really interesting. Yeah. If I look back on my whole life, that's kind of where I've put myself or, you know, a lot of times people have tried to put me in a box or said, oh, even in fourth grade, hey, Tara, you are such a leader. Like I played sports all the way through college. And I really shirked the idea of being a captain. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I just did my own thing. Like, I would work really hard, but I didn't want to lead anyone there because I, I didn't know if my example was right or wrong. 
And so I would actually stay away from being a captain of anything or being a leader. I don't love that word because that means that perhaps I know exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) And I'm an expert in it. And I don't know that anyone's ever an expert. I think we get to be conditioned if we really focus and put our head down. I mean, sure, a person that is a physician that's a neurosurgeon. They're really good at it, but they've had a lot of focused time to become that. Mm -hmm. When it comes to expertise, especially in the creative community, there was this great story in New York City once, this guy that worked for theater companies building scaffoldings. And he just kind of fell into this specialty and he built scaffoldings for all these different productions. And one day, 10 years into his career or so, somebody came to him with like this crazy scaffolding problem that he couldn't solve. And he started calling people to try to figure out who would be the guy, who would be the person in the community that would answer, be able to help him. And everybody gave him his name. (laughs) And he discovered that he was the scaffolding guy. And like, you know, people tell you, you can't tell other people you're the expert in a thing. The community has to reflect it back. how unnerving that would be, though? If you thought you weren't the scaffolding yeah. guy, and then every single How person you call is, is like, that's you. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that doesn't, yeah. that doesn't translate to our you know, video-free environment here. But like, <laughs> that would be very unnerving and alarming. Scary and to lonely. Realize that it's on, and lonely. Yeah. It's on you. Well, in scaffolding, you could kill someone if you don't yeah. get it right. Yeah, for sure. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the liability. Right. Like, the liability is huge. Maybe buy some insurance. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think that the, in truth, in our society, we've gotten so, like, if you follow these prescribed pathways, Mm -hmm. educationally, health-wise, then you will be good enough or knowledgeable Mm -hmm. enough and you will be better. And I don't find that that's true. I mean, I think that it's a kind of conformity. It creates a safe spot because you, everyone else is, if you follow that and you're with other people that are doing that too, but it doesn't allow for innovation or we're so unique as individuals that what works for you might not work for me, even though we're reading the same book and we should take the same takeaway. Mm-hmm. I think we all have the ability to be change agents if we take the courage to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read about that. Some people refer to it as the correct chronology of life, that there is this society imposed correct order of things and durations of things. And the more you deviate from those, that order or that duration, the more society in some way looks down on you. And mm-hmm. that's a little bit of how it, I feel like is, which keeps people conforming Mm -hmm. and wearing masks because they think they have to. They don't want to be on the outside. And now we're moving further along in our developed society. And I don't know if it's capitalism. You want to stay more in the norm. You know, it can be blasted if you make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Especially today. And misread Mm -hmm. and assumptions. And it can be just your character can be all of a sudden Mm -hmm. off rails. Yeah. Only because you took a risk. Mm -hmm. You said something interesting before the show. It kind of came out organically, but you didn't think of yourself as a designer, which I thought was very interesting because you, at least from my perspective, have designed something and it seems to have connected with a lot of people. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So in short, what happened was in, I guess, late 2016, I was just really tired of hearing so much, waking up every single day and it was negativity, fear and hate whether it was coming in conversations I had or on the radio, it was coming from all sides. And in Seattle, we're known to be liberal progressives, which I'm questioned sometimes. <laughs> and I, again, labels are bad. They really are broad brush. But I just felt like on all sides, it was didn't feel very good. And what I believe in is people, like because of 
my, I guess, journey in life, 100% believe in people. And so all this negativity, fear, and hate just didn't ring true to me because I am around amazing people and strangers or not. And we live in a beautiful country, beautiful world. And so I just decided I wanted to take a stand for that, not in a public way, but just actually in front of my house with a lawn sign. I had seen different posts on social media that had inspired that. I'm like, oh, I've seen different lawn signs. Well, maybe I'll go create one. And I went to the art store on 45th, which is a Mm -hmm. really great art store by the university. You walk in and there's just, you know, I wish I was really creative because I would, I always (laughs) wish I was more creative when I walk in there. Yeah, I want to buy everything. Everything. (laughs) Oh, I wish I knew how to use that acrylic paint or the canvas is empty. But But it all looks so nice. (laughs) So nice. So I just walked in there and asked this person who was working there where their supplies were to make signs and what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to make lawn sign. And so he took me back to the corner and he's like, what do you really want to do? Well, I have some words I'm thinking I want to put on the sign and he's like, why don't you go home and actually find what you want online or put it on, you know, create it and take it to Kinko's. I'm like, oh, and I'm a photographer. And I thought, well, I can do that. I create things all the time. I used to make before all these crazy Christmas cards. I used to design cards all the time for all my clients because they weren't available online. Photoshop's my friend. I'm really comfortable in that space. So I went home and I had words that I wanted and I actually did a Google search and I found a doormat. So the original design is actually not mine. I found a doormat. I really liked it. I think, oh, that's a good base. And so that design actually was in a JPEG. So I, I took that. And then decided I want to change it to rainbow colors because it resonated with me to have pride colors. And since there were more colors in the rainbow than was on this doormat, I was able to put in more statements that I believed in. So I created this design and I'd asked different people, how do you get a lawn sign made? Because Kinko's was really expensive and they, someone said, oh, we get lawn signs for our school for promotion. So I called this number in Montlake Terrace team plus <laughs> on a Friday it was January 6th and it was like nine in the morning and this guy answered right away and he he was in his truck he wasn't even in the office <laughs> I'm like hey I'm just calling to find out about getting a lawn sign made I asked how much they were <laughs> and he, they were 80 bucks and I'm really frugal I don't like to spend money when I don't have to Wait, for how many for one what? for one yes that's one lawn sign was 80 bucks. Okay, but for like 100, it's like 85. Well, <laughs> yeah. what, what, but what's in the meal they serve you while they're making your lawn well, sign? I, I don't know what the setup was, but I was like, that seems like a lot. Where's your break point? And this happened all in about 15 minutes. And he's like, well, at 200, it's $8. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Well, that's better. I'd pay $8 for a lawn sign. Maybe I can find 199 other people that might feel the same that I would. And this guy was like, really? And I'm like, I think I can. And literally in a 15-minute conversation, I said, let's do it. And so this guy said, okay, well, send me the design. And then I hung up. And I'm someone who, I don't know, I just didn't think it was worth just $8. Maybe I could be creative. And if I'm going to do something, I can also earn a little bit of money for an organization. I've done this in different capacities. And everyone always tells me I should be in development, Mm. fundraising development. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no way. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hard, hard job. And that is not a job I'm good at. So I'm you were taking sure. a big risk, though, because that's what, 1600 bucks or? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. My, so, then- <laughs> so it's just for the people following along, like you went from paying $80 for one sign, bad value, but not a huge risk. 
to a significant 1500. investment. Yeah. Sorry, 1500. Yeah. Well, and to be exact, it was, and so my mm-hmm. husband came home and I said, you know how I wanted a lawn sign? <laughs> One was really expensive. So I got 200 <laughs> and then I'm going to donate all the money to, I chose KUOW uh-huh. um, because I just mm-hmm. thought freedom of press, like how I was feeling sure. is I freedom of press. I wanted to support freedom of press. Mm-hmm. They do an incredible job of representing stories from the community, the arts, mm-hmm. And so that's where, I, and my husband's like, what's the budget? I'm like, oh, wait, no, I'll donate all the profits. And that's how it started. Wow. Needless to say, he was not super psyched about the 15 times, <laughs> but it was all on credit. And so my whole motivation was I was going to sell them in 30 days and cover oh, wow. my costs. So and, how long did it take? Well, it's weird. I sent it out to, I'm a photographer. I have, you know, all my clients at long emails. I sent out an email to everyone I knew and I put it on Facebook. I had this little old used envelope and I started writing down, oh, this person wants one and this person wants one. And then someone wanted six. And like my heart soared. I'm like, awesome. And I was, I was doing this little campaign on Facebook, doing lives, which I had never done before. And um, so to answer your question, how long did it take? I don't really know, because what happened was I got the first 20 mm-hmm. when I went up to pick them up. The first time I met this guy, and I, I share this because I really believe it takes a community. And so I arrived at Printing Plus in Montlake Terrace and walk in and there's this guy he's the owner of the place the guy I talked to on the phone and his name was Mike so right from the get-go I'm like magic Mike (laughs) and I was like so excited to get these signs and he did it and he wasn't sure if they were right and I'm like oh they're bright and I remember taking a selfie he didn't want to I'm like we gotta like document this and he's like I don't really like pictures I'm like I don't like them either I don't really like I like to be behind the camera Mm -hmm. I'm a photographer. Do you like having your picture taken? No, I hate it. I hate it. Do you like having your picture taken? For a long time, I didn't. And then as I got older, I started to like kind of lament the fact that I was not in any photographs. (laughs) (laughs) And I started to realize I should like start just literally grinning and bearing it because it's like actually important. It's really So I have a, I have a sort of a attention it. about it. But that's courageous because oh, I think being a photographer, I would always tell people, oh, put yourself in it because in 10 years, you're going to think you look fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Right now, you don't think you look fabulous. But that's yeah. the crazy thing, right? Yeah. You look back and you're no, like, I was really now. unhappy with the I'm way like, I looked in this photograph, which is ago? bonkers <laughs> because <laughs> I have never looked better. Dang it, like again, that time machine right? and I was just like, I was not doing so bad in 1999. I I really should have. uh... Yeah, it's true. We all need to get in front of that camera. And it documents something, a moment in time. And that time can slip away. So Mm -hmm. I started, I was like, Magic Mike, we're documenting this. And he was so funny. He's like, maybe next time. I'm like, oh, no, this time. (laughs) This is the moment. And he ended up becoming really one of the main reasons why I was able to keep going. He was incredible. But um, I got those 20 and I put it in front of the house and then I duct taped them onto my SUV <laughs> and then I delivered a few. We were leaving for Canada to go on a ski trip the next day. And that night, like at two in the morning, I left them on a few people's doorsteps. I felt like I was a little peace angel. It was like the best. <laughs> but I will say that same day when I put them on my SUV, mm-hmm. my son, who was 13 at the time, maybe 14, he came out, he had a hoodie on and he's like, oh, mom, like, no way. You can't do that. <laughs> and like, oh, it's okay. You've got your hoodie on. You can sit in the back seat. And no one will see you. And he was like, no, mom, like people will throw rocks. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I was surprised and I thought, well, they might throw rocks. 
but maybe more good will come out of it than bad. And we have car insurance. So <laughs> seriously. It's okay. And it's really yeah. surprised me. And then six hours later, I had, I have an 11 year old. They had not crossed over. And he said the exact same thing. And I was so surprised. And right in that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, my white young boys have somewhere learned that you don't put yourself out there for fear of retribution. So it's Mm -hmm. easier to stay safe. And then the next day we were leaving to go to Canada for the week. It was my son's birthday and we were going to go skiing. And my husband took down the signs off the SUV. I was a little bit bummed about that. But (laughs) we were going to be crossing a border. And I'm like, that's so cool. But then he also took down the sign in front of the house. Because you weren't going to be there to defend the property, he thought. Let's take it down to protect the house while we aren't here. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. And I looked at him. I'm like, we can't do that. And he's like, we're going to be gone. Someone might do something to our house. And I live in North Capitol Hill. And if anyone's been to North Capitol Hill, it's very nice. And I live on this quiet street with amazing, active neighbors. And I said to him, you know, our neighbors will look out for us. And, okay, we also have homeowner's insurance. So if something happens, we're okay. We don't get to step in and step out. Now, I did put my whole family in unilaterally without asking them. (laughs) But for me, it was also that same reaction by Mm. my husband and my kids had of like something bad will happen. You know, I wonder, we haven't actually read the context of the sign Mm. to our listeners. Maybe we should. Oh, that's a really good idea. Do you know it by heart by now? I bet you do. Oh, I probably do. Well, I mean, it's it's on everything I have. I I wear what I believe every single day. So, yeah, I can. Do you want Tara's Someone about else to read it. Someone okay. should read it. Instead I'll read of my, it. My voice gets... Tara just gave me her, her knit cap, which is kind of a rust orange, and on it is <laughs> a patch that is black, and each line that I'm about to read you is in a different typeface. It's in the colors of the rainbow. Correct. And it started out not with I believe. That's a... Would you like me to read that part or not? No, I would say in this house. Like the in this house is... Okay. Well, in, in this house, we believe. Charles, before you read it, I think we should paint a bigger picture because... You see this lawn sign everywhere. Everywhere in Seattle. Yeah, you know, actually, So I think we'll get to that because I can share, like, yeah. Right. Some of yeah, our listeners yeah. aren't in Seattle. Right. So actually, right. it's, it's a really con- good point, context, Rachel. Yeah, like, you, guys, you see this you everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, hey, you know, like you're just walking by on the sidewalk and you point it out. And people are like, well, where do you get that? Yep. It is so relatable in our community that people want to have this sign. Right. Yeah, this lawn sign, I would say. This, this icon of yeah. how can we be more public about the things that we believe in? Because it, it, at least in this community, there's been a lot of, it's almost like you're feeling like those beliefs are not acceptable in a greater context of where things are going in the country. And so you want to make a point of being very public about it to show your support to people that need the support. For sure. Yeah. yeah so in some it's, neighborhoods, it's very, very common that you see this sign. And in some neighborhoods, more than half of the yeah. homes you pass have this lawn sign or it on their window of their door or something. So here is the message. In this house, we believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. No human is illegal. Science is real. Water is life. In religious freedom, love is love. Kindness is everything. It's been everywhere. And it's hard to describe to any of the listeners who aren't in Seattle. Anyone who's in Seattle will know that sign. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, since we haven't met, 
that's something that I've heard for a long time is that it's everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I know it's hardly anywhere because I know how many signs. Like, to date, I've sold 7,000 mm-hmm. signs and then a lot more T-shirts and hoodies and, like, over 12,000 units of things. I've become a merchandiser. I have no business being a merchandiser. Mm-hmm. But 7,000 is nowhere near everywhere in Seattle. <laughs> and so my hope is is that we can get it much more proliferated across the city, but also across the country. So those 7,000 signs have shipped all over the country and Mm. also internationally. So it makes me happy that you feel like you see it everywhere. I hope we can get it even more blanketed in Mm -hmm. all the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. What's happened for me, it's been almost three years. Today, actually, is the 1,075th day. I've never counted it until just the other day. And I'm like, oh, because I knew the three-year anniversary of when I called Magic Mike um, (laughs) is coming up because that's January 6th. But I'm like, how many days is that? And I've learned a lot from putting it out there, but mostly about myself. Like it's more reaffirmed the reason why I started because I've learned about all of it. Like I'm not an expert in any one of those areas Mm -hmm. and I get to keep learning and opening up to listening and hearing people's experiences that better inform why I think it's important each message on this overall statement. Well, you know, I have to say, I only moved here four years ago. So there wasn't a whole lot of time between the time I moved here and the time these signs started appearing. Coming from the East Coast, spending almost my entire life there, sharing your values in this way is something that's not done. It's a social and cultural thing because it's, it starts such a contentious thing anywhere. And it actually made me feel welcomed and comfortable that people were okay displaying their values in such a clear way. Like it was really amazing. It's funny, I've actually seen some variations of the sign, which is kind of in a way almost a compliment. Somebody must be knocking you off, but then like saying something beautiful and knocking off your sign. And it's like, I think you've started something really interesting and important. Thank you. I think when I started this, so my upbringing, my family is very conservative. And so when I left for Canada, my mom sent me a message because she is a stalker on Facebook. She doesn't participate. <laughs> but she's, you know, give her that right because of her age. And she gave me a call and she said, I see what you're doing and I'm proud of you because she could see. It was very strange because it was right over Martin Luther King weekend. And I'm a photographer and I had all of this imagery and I've traveled to many third world countries. I lived in a third world country. So crazily, I had imagery and content that could support why it mattered to me to have this message. And she said she was proud of me, but she was hesitant. And I told her, you know, mom, this isn't about a political statement for me. This is our shared humanity. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to agree with everything. And I can understand why you might not, given your background and the resources that you're pulling information from. But if there's three, four or five things that resonate with you, that's a starting point for us to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And in the three years, I get more and more committed to spreading this message because we need to have more conversations. We're getting so politicized and we're all feeding into it. And so why you probably didn't see it before, you know, people don't want to put it out there is we've been trained to be politically correct We don't want to offend people. We feel like it's easier to not say anything, to almost avoid risking embarrassment or judgment. 
Or if you're in business, Mm -hmm. you don't want to lose half your clientele. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. But what I found is even going back to my family who they had their perspective and it was real. It wasn't wrong how they were feeling not to put it up. But we've never had anything bad happen. Mm -hmm. I think the assumptions we make based on what we've been taught, it informs our behavior, but it's not always right. We really now, I feel like, work a lot on assumptions Instead of figuring out ourselves if it's right or wrong, which then allows the loudest voices in the room, the people who appear the most knowledgeable, to control what our behavior is. So over time, since you've released this, has your family changed their reaction to, I mean, your car didn't get stoned? Oh, my or did it? immediate family? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, did it, did it turn out? Have they come to embrace it's, it in a way? It's hard because they're living with it 24-7. And when I started, it was crazy because I had, well, 1,600 signs. So <laughs> within the time that I was in Canada, there was this uptick. When I was driving there, I was getting texts and calls mm-hmm. like, I'm so-and-so and I'm so-and-so's friend. And I want a sign. And I didn't know who the connector was. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh, the Women's March is happening. Mm-hmm. And the Women's March was maybe eight days away. And I got just constantly inundated with people wanting the signs for the march. And I had placed an order for shirts as well. And so it really spun up very quickly. So from going from 200 signs, my poor husband, (laughs) we were just on a ski vacation, actually celebrating my son's birthday. And on the day before we were going to be leaving, we were finishing skiing and we came down and I don't know if you ski, but there's apres ski and Mm -hmm. my kids went back to where we were at staying and we went to a bar (laughs) for apres. And I sat in the bar and I was like, yeah, as you do. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat in the bar and I was thinking, I got to figure out how I'm going to convince them that now I want 1600 signs because I called Magic Mike, like how many can I make before the March on that Friday? And he could make 1600. And it went over like a lead balloon with my husband because he was like, well, how many have you sold? And I was like, I don't know, about 100. <laughs> and I was in tears in this bar. It was not oh, no. really apres appropriate. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> apres sign. Oh, my God. And he's like, show me numbers. And I'm like, I don't have numbers. And it was weird because I just all of a sudden said, I don't know. I just feel like I'm at this vortex of exactly where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be doing this. And he said, to be a lawn sign seller? <laughs> Well, so what this is making me think of, though, is that it's like you latched into, connected to this point where a lot of people that maybe never in their life thought they would ever buy a lawn sign were like, yes, I must have a lawn sign right now. You were able to catch this wave of this is a thing that we've never wanted before. And all of a sudden, now we definitely want to pay to have this thing and we want it right now. And having to deal with that, you know, dichotomy of being able to provide a, a service and a product at an instant moment like that and also making that business risk of deciding to front that money to create these signs for a bunch of people that are not going to at all not pay you because they are so committed to this. There's so much emotion, I think, I really in these signs. I actually really appreciate that you, you're one of the few people that have articulated, like, you fronted all this money. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, it went from, like, 1500 to yeah. 15000 And I just made a decision, and I didn't, my husband was not on board, but I'm like, I just have to do this, again, on credit, because... But you're reading the room, and not yeah. the room, but, like, reading the, the room of the country. This was a moment when people were at 
at this point that we needed a way and people who would never would have purchased this thing before needed a way to express themselves and didn't know how to do it themselves. You are like, here is a way to express everything that you were thinking of. Ready made. Here you it give is. people a voice. Yeah. Having a voice is one of the hardest things to achieve. It really is. And it takes investment, which takes privilege. And only the privileged shouldn't be the only people with voices. And you used yours, again, you had insurance, so you knew that was going to break your car. You used yours to give people a voice. Well, to tap into the zeitgeist of the moment, Mm -hmm. to be able to say, no, this is a risk worth taking because this is a huge number of people that feel extremely strongly about these things. Yeah, we're willing to put their money behind it. Most people are given lawn signs. They aren't buying lawn signs. To be honest, like that's what people think of. It's like, oh, yeah, I had a political lawn sign on my lawn once or... Oh, my son's school is playing a football game. So I'll put <laughs> like that. That's the lawn sign market, basically. Truly, I've never <laughs> even had a lawn sign. I've never had a lawn sign in my whole yeah, life. Yeah. Like I never, yeah. like maybe someone gave me a political lawn sign, but I actually was uncomfortable putting it up because mm-hmm. I'm not very political. Right. I mean, to invest that money or again, I, did, I feel like I always told my husband, I'm not investing. I will cover my costs before the bill is due. But it was a big risk and a mm-hmm. big unknown. But what's interesting is you would think that it would have just stopped with the Women's March. And that Women's March, my, like, I ended up having my house was a mess. I had boxes and boxes of stuff the night before, and I wanted to march. I was so looking forward to marching and being with people. It was an interesting time. But I'm like, oh, my gosh. My husband was working a night shift, and he hadn't come home and seen all the boxes because <laughs> I had hoodies and T-shirts and signs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot march. I've got to show up and start selling because he is going to lose his mind when he sees how much is here. And I set up by the skate park in Judkins Park. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it. Very. Mm-hmm. My son, who was 11, is like, I'll come help you. And this goes to your question about my family now. How do they feel? You know, they were a part. They showed up with me early on. And I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like my 11-year-old son being there selling, we didn't even know what we were doing. And we need people to be there with us to give us courage. Had he not been there with me, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. And so we just set up this folding table and then people were coming and people hadn't even seen the sign. And all of a sudden we had just a backlog of people wanting things. And it was awesome. It was really inspiring because people showed up at the march for different reasons. And they were with community and they were with their friends. And we got to see all these different friend groups. I remember the Southeast Asian group, they bought a sign, maybe a few, and then they were talking in a different language. And I make disco ball helmets. So I had a disco ball. I was wearing a disco ball helmet and I wanted a picture with them. And to be with these women that had community amongst themselves, so excited to show up for this much larger movement and that they were carrying a sign, like I was dying. Hmm. Even though we're talking numbers, we're like so and so number of signs have been sold, whatever number has been, you know, money donated to charities and things. The thing is, is that I think there's a much greater impact that that particular sign has than the numbers that we are able to track. Because people like that, even if there was a giant queue at the folding table to buy a sign at the park, even the people that didn't buy a sign, that the sign is available and that the sign is present in places. It builds community in a way that we really desperately need in these divided times, right? And so just the presence of the sign, we can't measure it, but the number of people that see each sign and the number of people that see it and they're like, oh, mm, that feels good. I mean, it's being optimistic of me to be like when people see it, that they feel 
positive and reassured and like they are part of a greater human community that is not political. Because I think that's one of the things that you've been mentioning that it was never a political movement. It was never a thing like that. Trying to draw back from the super polarized political climate and just being, these are human things. These are human things. And if we just make an individual human feel better, and then that individual human is going to be more receptive to making other individual humans. This is a thing that multiplies. There's a butterfly effect opportunity to this that we can't measure, but that we can we can see. And I don't Actualize. know how to end this, but like, yeah. No, so I'm, I'm in love with you right now, even Thank though you. I just met you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I really am because okay. <laughs> it happens all the time. I'm used to it. Well, I have to say. I am not. Okay, well, I state, have to tell you that was really amazing to hear because Six months in, like I was going hard and fast and had no plan. I had no plan of doing this more than a month. But six months in, I was still going and I was donating all the money. And it was crazy. And I was on the sideline of my son's soccer tournament as a soccer mom, I guess. But this woman said to me, hey, Tara, it's amazing what you're doing. Like, but what is your phase two? I said, oh, Julie. What is your business plan? Yeah. (laughs) And she was a CEO of a company. And again, I'm self-employed as a photographer. And I am a creative, I've realized in the last four or five years, maybe more, that I don't work on plans. And I said to her, oh, my gosh, Julie, I didn't even have a phase one. I can't (laughs) even imagine a phase two. And her first question is, how many signs have you sold and how much have you donated? And both of those things I said to her weren't my matrixes of why I was doing it. And it's really hard to articulate that to people because everyone wants to know. First question is, how many signs have you sold? How does it pencil? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the point. That is not the point. And that was never what motivated me. So you're being able to articulate it that way because being the person that's doing it, I don't get to always experience what's happening. For the most part, I'm working in my own little vacuum. Mm -hmm. But my vacuum is really about just doing what feels right. And the feedback that I have gotten that, you know, I went to a meeting And 15 minutes later, I get an email from this gentleman who said, oh, my gosh, it was so great to meet you. And as a black queer man in this city, the last three or four years, I've been feeling a little uncertain about my place. And when I'm driving down the street and I see those signs, Mm -hmm. I have to allow myself to not worry about all the other things, but I know that people care about me Mm -hmm. and I know that I'm okay. I think that's one of the keys to how you design that sign, because in saying in this house, we believe, or if it's in other merchandise, it says, I believe or whatever. But what you're doing is creating a context where it's not aggressive and it doesn't put anyone in any position of needing to agree with you at all or engage with you. You know, in this house, we believe this, but it's not like we're like, hey, come inside. (laughs) Like we're just saying that we are here. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is putting a thing out like on your sleeve saying, we are here. Don't, you know. And if you do too, we see you. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it's not aggressive and it's not even like requiring anybody to do anything Mm -hmm. at all and getting people to do stuff. Like the the hardest hardest thing. (laughs) So, but nobody has to do anything. It's just making it known that there are people here that see you and that agree with you and that it's okay. Even if you never in a million years meet them, You just happen to walk by this place, like whatever. It doesn't matter. You're not alone. And that enough is, I think, what gives communities of people enough confidence to be like, it's okay. I can be in this place. I can have these thoughts. I can have these feelings. I can be more public with who I am because the community at large 
at least there's somebody that has my back. And that's huge. And that's what I think. Moving from that people having the courage to take a public stand for what they believe to realizing like you have to put it out there and it allows for people to have conversation. And Mm -hmm. what I found is what I would have never expected, but sadly I find it's become more true is it is a marker of a safe home and it doesn't mean that the person's trying to be offensive to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And then when people see it, they feel like, oh, I'm okay there. And I've had people Because I haven't done much PR. No, actually, I've done no PR. No one really knows what's behind the sign or money has been donated. I've been able to donate over $65,000. And that is inconsequential to the feedback that I get. And here's another one that really struck me. I met this woman who was walking her dog and it was nighttime and I had a dog and we said hello. And then she said she had kids my age and we, great, we should get together. And I told her where I live. She's like, wait, is that your house that has all the signs? Because <laughs> I don't just have one sign. I also have a flag that says in this house, we believe, but I also have it in seven different languages. So I have now for a husband who I unilaterally had him step in. It's now all across my front yard. But she said to me, that's your house. I love those signs. And then I shared with her that I had started this and she's like, oh my gosh. She's Canadian, and she was living in India with her husband, and he's Kashmiri. And she was brought here with Gates Foundation to head up the gender equity sector. And she said, you know, when you get relocated, the company you're working for kind of tells you where maybe that's the best place to live. But she did a broader search because uh, she's a mixed-race family. And she said the only reason why she chose the neighborhood that she landed in was because of the signs. Wow. And so her husband was never able to come. She would come and look. And she told him, she's like, we have to be in this neighborhood because we'll be safer than other neighborhoods. And that's That's incredible. Isn't that incredible? And coming into like, you know, Seattle's known as liberal progressive, but really people don't have to think about their safety if they fit. But there's most people who are not white, heterosexual by birth, have to think about these things. And so for me, what you're articulating with the impact on a community or on people who are passing it by, you can't measure that. It's not Mm -hmm. tangible. It's not monetizable. Like people, we're in Mm -hmm. capitalist America. (laughs) And that's a little bit of my problem with my whole career is everyone wants to, how are you going to monetize that, Tara? And I don't work that way. Mm -hmm. Like I don't believe... You can always put a dollar figure to what we can create for a better world. Sure. But that being said, money, I mean, hey, it's I official know. now. Money is speech. And so I think it actually means something because money is can also represent sacrifice. To be given a free sign and put it in your yard does not represent sacrifice. But to spend any of your money, that's your energy, I think does make more of a statement than not. It is a little bit of skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is like now, because most people don't even know where it came from. When I started, there was nothing on the sign. And then I put stickers on the back. And now there finally is in the last year, a URL on the front. But most people still don't know where to get it mm-hmm. from. And I do get questions of like, oh, that's expensive. But it is skin in the game because it's like expensive to buy the inventory. So that <laughs> capital investment that I'm carrying, which my family has to absorb or I have to absorb, like how am I going? I play this game of how can I recoup and make sure that I don't put my family. I always have worked in that. I'm not going to go into the red. I'm going to stay in the black and I'm going to donate all the money. But it's um, a lot of weight to carry. But I know that it's now because I put my own skin in the game and I know that people want it. And people do. It's like they're putting dollar behind what they believe. 
And I do feel like people have a what they get back for that investment individually within their family. They get to talk about things. It's mm-hmm. created conversation within families, within communities, with strangers. And so that $20 investment on the sign, the return is so much more. It's not tangible or monetizable in the, what we like to say, but on the human side, I think it's soul fuel. And we all need it so badly in this time where everyone is really, I think, feeling not optimistic. I've become more <laughs> optimistic in the last three years. So, Well, thank you. I think you clearly connected with a lot of people. So not only thank you for coming on because we're just about out of time, but thank you for creating such a thing that gave so many people a voice. Well, thank you. And I, what I want to say, because I don't put myself ever in the middle because I'm a photographer, I'm learning to do that. Mm-hmm. And what I would ask people if they're thinking that sounds awesome, but I'm not sure I'm ready. One of the things that started was it was in this house, we believe, and I still have that for the lawn signs. But now everything is, I believe, because I feel like we are almost passive when we put it off on a whole group. Mm -hmm. And I ask people to consider having the courage. You don't have to wear it every day. I actually wear something every single day for three years. My family has been like, oh, my gosh, it's like a uniform. And I've had people say to me like, oh, you're repping it. You want people to buy it. And I actually don't care if someone buys it, truly. But I know that my experience is I get to have conversations with people. I still believe in it. I don't feel any differently than when I first wanted that lawn sign. I feel like actually we need more of it in our world. If any of this resonates with the listeners, I would ask them to go to believelevynight.com and you can learn a little bit more and you can get yourself a sign, but actually challenge. If you get five, I know that you can find a home for them. People will Mm -hmm. buy them from you because I've done it a thousand times over. (laughs) And so I really do want to spread the message because we can create more unity, more Mm -hmm. conversation. And I don't believe we have to all think the same way. I really think we've become polarized by our culture of now politics. But we have to find a way to talk to each other and come more to the the middle. And it can start with a sign or a patch or a shirt (laughs) or a hoodie or a bumper sticker. Well, well said. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Tara. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Check out Design Goggles podcast on Instagram and Design Goggles on Facebook and Twitter. Also, check out our blog on BoredomVellum.com. There is always super cool stuff being posted there. And as always, please stop on by Boredom Vellum in Seattle anytime for a chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again, and we will see you all in a few weeks. Bye.